Indeed is made possible through the generous support of Manitou Fund. A special thanks to them for helping us share the hidden world of water with you. From American Public Media and the Water Main, this is In Deep. I'm Jed Kim. We're the podcast that shines a light on the neglected world of pipes and sewers that are supposed to keep our water safe. We've been doing that for seven episodes, looking at water infrastructure in places like Kentucky, Chicago, Philadelphia, and Florida. And, you know, we've been pretty even-handed so far in trying to make you care about all this stuff. Well, today we take the gloves off, and our producers battle to convince someone much younger and much cooler than them, a college student, that they too should care about water infrastructure. We also have some great listener questions, like this one, which will start us off. Hi, my name is Kristen. I live in the city in St. Louis, and I love your podcast. I live in a very old apartment built in the 1920s, and I reached out to my landlord about blood pipes. I'm still waiting to hear back about what they know about um, what's in our building. But in the meantime, I was curious if you all had any thoughts about the test kits that they sell online. I think they're like 25 or $30 to test your water for lead. Mainly just curious if that's, is that even accurate? Does that tell you enough information to go on? Um, I'd love to hear the answer to that question. That is a great question. Um, Lauren Rosenthal, you were the reporter who brought us that fantastic episode about lead service lines. What, what about Kristen's question? What, what do you think of these test kits? So it's complicated. I mean, the, the test kits are simple enough, right? You get like a jug, you get instructions to take some water out of your tap first thing in the morning after the pipes have been, you know, sitting quietly overnight. That's really easy to do. But there's a catch. The water in that jug is probably not going to be water that's been sitting in a lead service line overnight if you have one at your house. And in this case, that's what Kristen wants to know. Do I have one of these lead pipes? Like, am I at risk from that? Right. So, like, it's because our plumbing systems are kind of big. You're, you may not be getting water from that part that is touching lead. Exactly. You'd have to take way more samples, way more jugs of water, and then <laughs> ship that off to a lab. Now, that's possible. Scientists do that all the time. But just buying a $30 test kit it might not give you the information that you really want to know, which is, huh. am I getting exposed to lots of lead in my water potentially because I still have an old lead pipe? So what are you supposed to do then? Well, the best thing that you can do to protect yourself from accidentally drinking lead is to just slap a filter on your faucet. A filter can be super effective at reducing lead in your water. When crises have broken out in cities like Flint, filters are one of the first lines of defense. They're one of the first things that the city will hand out to protect people. Is there anything like specific to know about St. Louis itself? Yeah, St. Louis sticks out for a couple of reasons. It's one of these cities that has really old housing stock. Like more than half of the houses people are living in today in St. Louis were built before 1940. And we also know that St. Louis was one of these cities that used only lead for new water connections for a while until the 1930s. So it is possible that at some point there was a lead service line hooked up to Kristen's house. Now, it could have been taken out. It maybe was never there to begin with. 
And if she wants an answer, she can call up the city and ask, does this address have a lead pipe? Talking to the landlord like she's trying to do, that's a great idea. And they can always just bring a plumber out to take a look. Okay. Thank you, Lauren. And actually, you have kind of an update for us on another major lead story in Michigan. What's what's going on? Yeah, breaking news. <laughs> After we put out our episode on lead service lines, we got wind that there was a huge $600 million settlement for people wow. in Flint who sued the state because they were exposed to massive amounts of lead in their water during the Flint water crisis starting back in 2014. So 600 million. I mean, is that a lot of money? <laughs> How is it breaking down? So this settlement is mostly intended to compensate people who were directly harmed by the lead right. crisis. So this is kids who tested positive for lead poisoning, people whose homes were damaged because part of the problem in Flint was that the water got super corrosive. It ate away at people's pipes, but it also damaged them in some cases, messed mm. up people's appliances. And some folks have argued like it's created big problems for their businesses, driven down property values, just a whole host of problems. That's reporter Lauren Rosenthal. Coming up after the break, it's SmackDown time. Our producers go head-to-head to make you care about water infrastructure. That's up after this short break. This is In Deep. I'm Jed Kim. All right, here's the deal. We set a goal for ourselves at the beginning of this whole podcast that was admittedly kind of ambitious. We wanted to make you really care about your water infrastructure. And as we've reported and produced In Deep, you know, we've really gotten obsessed with it. But we're dorks. We've decided we need to bring in a college student to see if we can make her care. Three of our team members are going to present their cases for what's so important about water systems. And to help judge how well they do, we've got a special guest, Ariana Giles. Hello, hello. Ariana, you are young. You're smart. We know this because you once did a fellowship here at American Public Media. Maybe we're biased. I got to ask you a, a very personal question here. How much do you care about water infrastructure? Not a lot. Ah. <laughs> I mean, to the point of where I can consume the water and everything's good, as long as I know that's okay, Yeah. then I care about water. I mean, but as long beyond as it's that, clear coming out of the tap, you're good. As long as it's clear and I can drink it, <laughs> I'm good. You, you don't want, like, brown sludge coming out of your, your, your sink. That That's that's the limit. Now I'm cool of off the sludge. You can hold the sludge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What what are the things that you do care about? Passing these classes, mm-hmm. um, Dairy Queen because it's the end of summer, and oh. probably um, getting on Zoom meetings every day for class. I mean, that is what moves me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, today we're going to make you care about water infrastructure. I swear it. And we've got three people who've worked on this podcast to help win you over. First off, we've got Todd Melby 
and Dan Ackerman. They're both reporter voices we've all heard in several of our episodes. Say hey, guys. Hello, hello. Hey there. And we've got Annie Baxter, who's edited and produced a lot of the stuff for our show. Hello, Annie. Hey, guys. All right, Ariana, are you ready to hear what Todd, Annie, and Dan, their pitches on why you need to care about water infrastructure? Let's get into it. All right. They're each going to take 90 seconds to present their cases. At the end of it, let us know. Did we succeed? Did we make you care about water infrastructure? And whose presentations spoke to you the most? We're going to go with Todd Melby. You're up first. Ariana, how you doing? Hey, T, what's up? I want to talk to you about combined sewer overflows. Okay. Keep in mind that this has the word sewer in it. So a combined sewer overflow is what happens when a city has its rainwater and its sewer water coming from a single pipe. So if it doesn't rain, it's fine. The sewer water can go off and get treated and then become clean. But if it rains, and Lord knows it rains sometimes, then that sewer water and the rainwater go into the river. And does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? A bad thing. That's really bad. We don't like that. We don't want the excrement in the water. It's bad for the fish. It's bad for the humans. Please vote against combined sewer overflows because they pollute and they're nasty. Okay, Todd, I hear you. I hear you. All right. Ariana, you heard from Todd. Next up, let's hear what Annie Baxter has to say. Okay, Ariana, I have a really big fact to drop on you. The federal government spending on water infrastructure has dropped by 80% since the 70s. That's like a really, really significant disinvestment. And the reason why we need to care about this is that we've got like all these old pipes and sewer systems that were built like 100 years ago. Just imagine a house if it was that old, like how much repair it would need. Well, you know, these things need to be fixed. We've got water mains bursting, pipes leaking. Just last year, we lost like $7.5 billion in clean drinking water through leaks. So that's like water we're paying to have treated to make it drinkable, and then we just squander it. That is a huge problem. We're wasting a lot of money. But kind of even worse, we have cities who are like, hey, the federal government isn't helping us. We're going to have to figure out how to fix these problems on our own. How are we going to pay for it? We're going to charge the you know, average citizens more for the water they drink. Well, that's a huge problem when people can't afford bigger water bills. And guess what? You might get your water turned off if you can't afford those rate increases. Most people think of this as an invisible problem, and so they don't care. But, you know, well, we should. Annie Baxter making the case for deteriorating pipes that we're going to have to pay for. All right. Last up, we are going to hear from Dan Ackerman. Dan, 90 seconds. Tell us some truth. All right, so Annie just talked about where's the money going to come from to fix water infrastructure. My big question is, how are we going to spend that money? Because we can't just like rebuild our pipes and sewers the same as we had them before. Thanks to Jed's reporting in Chicago, for example, we know that climate change is going to make flooding way worse. And we also know that not everyone is impacted equally. Um, I talked to Chriselle Pillay about all this. She uh, is in Houston, and she directs the Houston Home Coalition, which is working to rebuild the city um, equitably after Hurricane Harvey caused massive flooding back in 2017. 
So Chriselle told me that the wealthier and predominantly whiter neighborhoods in Houston had pretty decent flood protection, like they had underground storm sewers that whisked away the water, but that is not the case everywhere. Then there are also what's come to be known as open ditch drainage systems, which are essentially ditches, right? And over 80% of the open ditch draining in the city of Houston is in historically African-American and Latino communities. So open ditches, not really a 21st century solution. Chriselle actually lobbied her county to build flood protections not just in places with higher property values, but in places that need it most. So like places that might not be able to recover from a flood on their own. And, you know, that's where we need to invest in act to actually build a modern, functional water infrastructure that's fair because an open ditch is not going to cut it in a huge hurricane. So we need to invest in keeping everyone safe, not just fancy rich people's houses. All right. That's Dan Ackerman. All right, Ariana, you've heard three different cases about why we should care about water infrastructure. You've got poop going into rivers. You've got crumbling infrastructure, and you've got the problems not being shared equally. Whose case uh, spoke to you most? I would have to give it to Dan. Oh, yeah. Oh, come on. (laughs) Annie, you did pull on my heartstrings, though. You pulled on my heartstrings because you talked about, you know, people having to pay more money for their water, for the better equipment for the water. Mm -hmm. And as a college student, I don't have extra funds to be spending on water. That's out. However, Dan talked about like how we can actually use the money and where it's going to go and how it's going to be most effective. I think that it is unfair and like the water infrastructure needs to be treated fairly across the board and definitely needs to be started in places that don't have good infrastructure in place already. And I agree like having open ditches that's just not going to work yeah why why rebuild a system that didn't work for everyone in the first place right that doesn't make sense can we try something new all right (laughs) we have dan eking it out ahead of annie todd in a distant third (laughs) why am i in third place (laughs) all right ariana bigger question though like did we make you care a little bit more about water infrastructure I think I do care a little bit more now because I actually didn't have much knowledge about it outside of oh, my thank God. chat. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's all go do a celebratory tour of a water treatment facility. That sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you, Ariana. Thanks for having me. I will be sure to tell all my college peers and friends and colleagues that we should care more about water infrastructure. Thanks, Ariana. You're a fair and righteous judge. <laughs> Agreed. If you want to tell us which argument made you care the most, hit us up on social media at The Water Main. Before we wrap things up, we've got another listener question. This one from Minnesota. It's about water infrastructure and personal hygiene. It's about bidets. Hey, this is John in St. Paul. Um, just wondering, like, talking about the sewer systems and whatnot, you know, given uh, the recent toilet paper shortage of uh, with the pandemic, uh, people, you know, were investing heavily in the days and for their home. Is that something that environmentally and just for the sake of the sewage system, people should be doing in general? I mean, like, you know, less less toilet paper, obviously. Is that something that we should just be promoting more as a society, as a normal way of living? 
Anyway, thanks so much. Bye. It's a good question. Should we be getting bidets? <laughs> we decided to ask Dan Ackerman, our super scientist, to uh, look into this one for us. What do you got, Dan? Well, first, I, I'd say I can't claim too much expertise here because I have <laughs> never personally used a bidet. Um, oh, not, not once in your life? Not once, no. So I'm a total beginner here. I'm not. I'm not sure if you have any experiences to share with the audience, but you know, maybe they would actually prefer you not to. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know, John in St. Paul could be onto something here. Like, I think bidets could huh. be a little more environmentally friendly than using toilet paper. It's unclear, I would say, how a shift from toilet paper to bidets would impact the sewer system itself, but there's. Definitely plenty of upstream impacts, like like way upstream when you think about how toilet paper is actually made. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our beloved forests. Our beloved forests. And that whole process of turning trees into tidy little rolls of Charmin, that's a process called pulping. And it t- actually takes a lot of water. So hmm. I found a pretty wide range of estimates on this, but a single roll of toilet paper could use anywhere from 6 to 36 gallons of water to manufacture. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay. and that, that amount can be reduced a bit uh, by using recycled paper products rather than trees to make the toilet paper. But the point is, every time you wipe, there's quite a bit of water embodied in that piece of toilet paper. So switching to a bidet could actually save water overall. Hmm. All right. I feel like I got to go out and get one now, (laughs) if they're even possible to get these days. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to stick to toilet paper for now, but um, (laughs) maybe John St. Paul can, can, uh, you know, call us back and check in about how his his friends have have liked the bidets they've purchased so far. His friends, yeah. (laughs) I got you, John. Thank you very much, Dan. And thanks to all of you for listening to this season of In Deep. Our production team for this episode includes Annie Baxter, Chris Julin, Todd Melby, Dan Ackerman, and Lauren Rosenthal. I'm Jed Kim. Kristen Schmidt runs our social media, and we get lots of help from Ellie Lyons and Lauren Humpert. We're so grateful to Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani for mixing our episodes, and to Steve Griffith for running logistics. Special thanks to Ariana Giles and Kia Collier for their help with this episode. And many thanks to Amy Scotchless-Cole and our boss, Chris Worthington, for their great insights. Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music. See you around. This is APM, American Public Media.